All right, if you take your Bibles tonight and turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. now working our way through the Proverbs of Solomon, and I'm excited to be able to get into it deep now and start studying them with you. And uh, the nice thing about the Proverbs, or the different thing about the Proverbs is, you never know what the next verse is going to be talking about, (laughs) you know. I mean, we we do verse-by-verse teaching, uh, but the Proverbs are so diverse And so short, so terse, that uh, basically, even though we're doing verse-by-verse teaching, we're still doing topical studies at the same time. It's kind of neat. And tonight, uh, Solomon says in verse 10, he says, My son, if sinners... I'm breaking up, aren't I? All right, I'm going to try to do something with this. I'm not sure what to do. Let me move this to another place. Put it in here. Let's try it here now. Give it a shot. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Okay, so let's break this verse down. We'll break it down into two parts tonight. First, my son, if sinners entice thee. Now take your pens, if you would, please, and underscore the words, sinners entice. Sinners entice. You know what sinners do? They entice. (laughs) That's what we learned right there. Sinners entice. They entice other people to join in with their sinful behavior. The Hebrew word translated entice is the idea of making something roomy. Come on in. There's plenty of room. Come on in. The elevator opened today and uh, and, uh, there were three people on the elevator already. And they prefer that we have no more than two on the elevators Due to getting too crowded on there. Well, there were three on there. I said, that's all right. They said, come on in. Come on in. Anyway, you know what they're doing? They're all trying to move to make room for me. Well, that's what this word here. Y'all think I went in? No, I didn't go in. I didn't go in. But uh, anyway, I said, I'm I'm good. Thank you. I said, I'm very contagious. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, poor thing you ask, kidding. But that's the idea behind entice, to make something roomy. Hey, come on in. Join us. Take part in this with us. That's what sinners do. And a lot of times, sinners will make you feel welcome in their sin. They'll entice you. Yeah, come on in and join us. It's a well-known fact that the more people you have who live in sin with you, the better you're going to feel about the sin you're committing. The more people you have who join in on your sin with you, the better you're going to feel about your lifestyle. Let me ask you a question, parents. 
What is the number one excuse that parents hear when they're trying to tell a teenager, you're not going to go out and do this, you're not going to do that, you're not going to wear that, or whatever, and they're trying to rebuke that teenager and said, you're not doing that. That teenager would say, but mom, what? Everybody's doing it. Isn't that what they say, Hannah? Everybody's doing it. You see, when sin is normalized, everybody's doing it. It makes it easier for it to be rationalized. When sin is normalized, it will be easier to rationalize. But I tell you, it doesn't matter how many people sin like you do. Doesn't matter how many people have the same type of ungodly lifestyle you do. It doesn't matter if the whole world participates in your sin. Sin is sin no matter how many people do it. Ungodly company may soothe your conscience, but it will never excuse your sin. Repeat that again. Ungodly company may soothe your conscience. But it will never excuse your sin. You know what? There's never been a time in this world, never a time in the history of this earth, when a sinner could more accurately say, but everybody's doing it. And the time when God told Noah to build an ark. Isn't that right? Everybody in the world but eight people, Brother Doug. Now, that's a lot of people. That's the majority of people in the world. They say everybody's doing it. But that overwhelming popularity of sin did not keep God from condemning it with a flood. If sinners entice thee, having company in sin soothes the guilty conscience and causes sinners to have a false sense of security. That's what it does. It makes them think that somehow if enough people Join in with me on my sin. There's going to be strength in numbers. And somehow maybe we can avoid punishment. Somehow maybe we can turn the tide and rationalize it. When I grew up, if you were a homosexual, you was probably going to get beat up. That was true. Some boy come up to you on playground, make a pass at you. You're fixing to have a schoolyard brawl. Everybody condemned it. It was not normal. But you know what happened? They kept pushing it and pushing it. Celebrities coming out. Man, I don't care. I don't care how popular you are if you do a sin. It's still sin. But they kept pushing it and pushing it to where enough people banded together to where then it became normalized, then it became rationalized, and then it became celebrated. It's amazing. People would people would come out of the closet. Where I mean, listen, skeletons are supposed to be in the closet, right? <clears throat> I mean, you don't y'all don't want your dirty underwear hung up out on your front porch. You put it on on your back your back line, right? If you have a if you have one of those old uh, you know clothes lines like my grandparents used to, and I had in one of my houses for a while. But uh, you, you want your dirty, you don't want your dirty clothes out for everybody. See, you want to keep your skeletons in your closet. And they'd come out of that closet 
And because enough people come out, other people would say, you're so brave. And that's not bravery. Bravery is not doing something wrong when everybody else is doing right. Bravery is doing right when everybody else is doing wrong. That's bravery. Numbers didn't keep the people in Noah's day from their judgment, and numbers will not keep us from our judgment either. Sinners entice. And when the crowd entices us, there's a natural human tendency for us to want to be accepted by the crowd. I don't care who you are. There's a natural tendency in our hearts as, as humans to want to be accepted by the majority, want to be accepted by the crowd. I tell you what, man, I, I told my wife when I married her, I said, hey, I just want to let you know, I don't only march to the beat of a different drum. I made my own drum. I mean, I'm different than anybody I know. And it's pretty true, isn't it? I'm weird, all right? <laughs> so I've been used to being on the, you know, on the outside and being different. It's uncomfortable to be different. It's not popular to be different. It's uncomfortable to be criticized. It's uncomfortable to be rejected and for not conforming to the majority. And that's the thing about the enticement of sinners. They use that type of pressure on that tender human nature. And as long as they think they can influence you and use that pressure of being accepted by the crowd, they will entice you. But make no mistake about it. If you don't conform to their sinful ways, they'll stop enticing you. And they'll start criticizing you. They'll start rejecting you. <laughs> That's what they'll do. But as Christians, it's not man's approval that we seek. It's God's. So we need to enter life. We need to walk out those doors tonight and every Sunday morning when we hear God's Word. And young people, as you're entering into life and you're becoming teenagers and preteens and growing up into adulthood, you need to enter life with the mindset that we will not be influenced by the enticement of ungodly sinners, but by the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. That's what's going to influence us. Praise God, we have that choice. Why? Because sinners entice, but saints choose. Sinners entice. That's what they do. But saints get to choose. Solomon said, let's go on to the next half of this now. Solomon said, my son, if sinners entice thee, look at it with me, consent thou not. Isn't that good, Brother Doug? You got two actions. You got the action on the part of the sinner, they entice. That's the action they take. Then you got the action on the part of the saint, they choose. They either give consent or they withhold consent from that enticement. They do their thing. Saints do their thing. God's given us a free will. We don't have to follow the crowd. And furthermore, as Christians, we have been set free from the power and the influence of the devil through our death with Jesus Christ. We don't have to acquiesce to the will of the majority. We don't have to consent to the enticement of the sinners. We can choose to follow Jesus. And like this proverb, 
This proverb tells us something very powerful, like many other scripture verses. It may not it may not be so evident to you, but when it says, Consent thou not, do you know what this proverb is telling us? It's telling us, it's assuring us that you, as a child of God, have the right to say no. This verse not only teaches us about our personal liberty, you have the right to choose, you have the right to say no, you also have the right to consent. But it teaches us about our personal liberty, you have the right to say no. But it also teaches us about our personal responsibility. You see, if we have the power to say no, then this verse is telling us Somebody can't make us sin without what? Our consent. Somebody cannot make you sin without you giving your consent. Nobody can force anybody to sin. Can't do it. Sinners will entice you. But Solomon didn't say if sinners force you, right? Sinners can't force you to sin. Take your pen and underline the word consent. Consent. Entice is the action of the tempter. Consent is the action of the sinner. The only way you can sin is if you give your consent. We hear people all the time try to justify, maybe a parent trying to justify their child's behavior Somebody trying to justify somebody's behavior, and they'll try to excuse that, and they'll say, well, Jimmy got to running with the wrong crowd. You hear people say all the time, well, they got to running with the wrong crowd, and I understand what they mean. Let me ask you something. If Jimmy got to running with the wrong crowd, who was the wrong crowd running with? They running with Jimmy. (laughs) Somebody in that crowd get in trouble. They're going to be saying they got to run their own crowd too. The crowd didn't force Jimmy to sin. Everything Jimmy did was done with his consent. He made the choice to run with that crowd. He made the choice to do the things that he did. Jimmy is the one who is responsible for his actions. Don't ever blame your conduct on somebody else's enticement. Don't do it. Because you are the one that gives the consent or withholds it. Not only does this problem liberty, not only does it teach us about personal responsibility, but lastly, this proverb teaches us about personal culpability. I think it lacks the jacket pocket tonight, don't you? Personal culpability. That word culpability is speaking about when a person is criminally or morally liable for some action that they take, something that they do. If I am culpable, then I can be held liable for the action I've taken. And if I'm not culpable... And I cannot be held liable for the action I've taken. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose we have dinner on the grounds here one day. And by the way, and 
Some other ladies are fixing up the party of the century next door called a royal affair. It's going to be a good one. When is it going to be? Not sure yet, but we unloaded a bunch of stuff and Brittany's bringing stuff, load a bunch of stuff. It's going to be, it's going to be good. I mean, it's times like this, you kind of wish you could sit in with the ladies because it's going to be a good time. But anyway, royal affairs coming up. But let's say we had dinner on the grounds here one day at church. Let's say that my wife brings her food to church for the dinner in a crock pot. Now, let's say that Sister Sheila also decides to bring food to church in a crock pot. A new crock pot she got for Christmas. If we're going to pretend, we might as well give you a new one. Now, after church, while I'm talking to people here, let's say that Miss Tammy runs over there, unknown to me, Miss Tammy runs over there into the sanctuary, and she gets her crock pot out, and she puts it in the, in the, the front seat floorboard. And then she runs off, and she starts talking to Glenda for about half an hour at least. <laughs> Isn't that right, Brother Rick? That's right. And then Sheila and Doug, on the other hand, they've got somewhere to go after church, somewhere important. And they run off at church, they rush away, and they forget all about that crock pot, and they, it's still over there. So as Tammy and Glenda are talking and talking and talking, <laughs> I go over to the fellowship hall so I can check the thermostats and you know, make sure everything's locked up and, and lights are off and everything. And as I'm over there doing that, I happen to see Sister Sheila's new crock pot. I don't know what our crock pot looks like. I don't use it. And I see her new crock pot over there. And since it's new and since it's nice, I assume it's mine, you know. And I get the best. And, and I look and I say, well, look, there's our crock pot. I'll go ahead and load this up in the vehicle for Tammy so she won't have to, being the good husband that I am. So, so not knowing it's Doug and Sheila's crock pot, I take it out of the fellowship hall and I load it in the back of my car. Ours is in the front and now Doug and Sheila's in the back. And I take off after church with their crock pot in my possession. Now, there's no way I would ever intentionally take their crock pot. Unless I was taking it to their house for them. But sadly, that's what I did. Now listen closely. I took the crock pot. But I did not consent to take what did not belong to me. Do you see the difference? On the other hand, if I'd seen that crock pot and I thought to myself, Hey, Doug and Sheila forgot their crock pot. Ooh, yeah. Too bad, so sad for them. I forgot to get Tammy a Christmas present. I'll just give this to her. And so I put it in the back of my vehicle, and that's going to be a whole different story. So if I know I'm taking Doug and Sheila's crock pot, then I am consenting to taking what does not belong to me. I'm stealing, therefore I am culpable for my actions. <clears throat> So if I do not consent to the crime, then I am not liable for the crime. 
even though I committed the action of taking the crockpot. And it's the same thing with sin. This is a very important application for us to make tonight. For the conscience, the people with tender consciences, the devil will work you over. Now, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, the Holy Spirit's going to take his word. He's going to say, Brother Doug, you just stole Richard's crockpot. Brother Doug then either agrees with the Holy Spirit, that's called confession, and then he restores the crock pot, right? Or Brother Doug resists the Holy Spirit and says, I don't care, right? But once he agrees with the Holy Spirit and says, Lord, I'm wrong, I did take his crock pot, and he makes that right, it's done. Here's what the devil does. When Brother Doug goes back home after he's already confessed, after he's already restored the crock pot, the devil then goes, you took that crock pot. You took that crock pot, right? And he, he won't let up. He'll keep going. He'll keep going. Not only will he do that, but he will take something that's not sin and he will charge you in your mind as if you committed a sin. Now, there's enough sins that we commit Without well, having to be harassed about the ones we don't commit. That makes sense? There has to be a way in our mind where we understand I live in a sinful, fractured flesh, and I don't want to sin, but I'm constantly being tempted with thoughts and things in my mind and temptations in my mind and and uh, and and I've had people call me and talk to me on the phone, and it got to where in their minds they they couldn't even live life for the incredible amount of guilt and harassment that the devil was putting upon them for every little thought they thought or every thought they thought they might thought even. So if I do not consent to the crime, I'm not liable for it. If I do not consent to the sin, then I am not liable for the sin. Turn, if you would, quickly, please, to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Keep your pens out. We're going to mark in Romans 7 too. You should have already marked the word consent in Proverbs 1.10. So keep your eyes open here in Proverbs 7. <clears throat> keep your eye open for that key word, consent. Look here, if you would, in Proverbs 7, verse 15 through 17. In this chapter, the apostle Paul is talking about what it's like to be a born-again child of God, to be new on the inside, but to still be rotten on the outside. All right? And we all live in that situation as believers today. In verse 15, Paul said, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, that do I not. Y'all ever feel that way? Man, the things I want to do end up not doing the things I do. I wish I wouldn't. I didn't want to do. He said, But what I hate, he said, That do I. Now, boy, that ought to make us all feel really good. Because if the Apostle Paul struggled with that, that makes us feel normal suddenly. Look in verse 16. If then, now watch his conclusion here. If then I do that which I would not, 
I consent, underscore consent, I consent unto the law that it is good. You see what Paul's saying? He said, look, he's saying, if I'm laying in bed and I'm starting to pray, and as I'm praying, I'm praying for somebody's soul, somebody's salvation. I'm praying for somebody in the church who's sick or whatever. And next thing you know, my mind has drifted off into stuff that only Ann January can think. I mean, it's bad. It drifts off into, I mean, wicked thoughts. That's the flesh. And I think, dear God, how did I get from praying for this lost person to thinking this? That's not what I want. God help me. Now, when I don't want to do that, then I am not consenting to the thought. I am giving consent to the law. I'm saying the law's good. That thought's bad. I don't want that thought. I want to follow the law. But against my will, my thoughts and my flesh follow, follow that. So Paul says, hey, I'm not giving consent to this. That's not what I want to do. I'm giving consent to the law, and unfortunately, I don't have the power to always do it. But my consent is with the law of God. And sometimes as children of God, we run into those situations. We do. And our, our, our bodies, our flesh, take over in a sense. And then our mind, our inner man, has to confess it and correct it. And so he says in verse 16, If then I do that which I would not, or that I don't want to do, I consent unto the law that the law is good. Verse 17, Now then, watch the conclusion. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He's saying, I didn't commit that sin. That was the sin that dwells in me. You commit sin when you consent to that enticement. Let me give you a difference. I remember one day driving down the road. I was in my 30s, I think. Young man. Driving down the road. Back road, there's nobody anywhere around. As I'm going down the road, I see a magazine in the middle of the road. I could tell as the wind blew what kind of magazine it was, Brother Doug. Now, at that time, I had full control on that brake, on that accelerator, on that steering wheel, on that door handle, did I not? Now, if I stop and I open the door and I grab that magazine and I pull it in there with me. Am I consenting unto the law or am I consenting unto the enticement? At that time, it's sin, Brother Doug. It's sin. I saw that magazine. I went, Shh. I started praying, went around that magazine. Praise God. Drove back by around that corner later, coming back home. I saw some fella stopping there and pulling inside his vehicle. He consented. Unto the enticement. 
So that, that's the difference. To sin, you have to give consent. I've got people all the time that write me, and they've got these terrible thoughts that pop into their mind, like what we were talking about earlier. Something pop into their mind, and, and the devil's harassing them over it. And I, I ask them, do you want those thoughts in your mind? Oh, man, I wish I could get rid of them. I hate them. And you, they're not giving consent to them. It's not you that's sinning. It's sin that's dwelling in you. You'll never, ever, ever get rid of that sinful flesh until Jesus separates you from it and takes you to heaven. That's the only way you're ever going to peel this old flesh off and be rid of that. So you remember, if you stop and you give consent, shame on you. That is you sinning. But if you're consenting into the law and you're getting <laughs> whammoed by this other stuff, that's not you sinning. That's sin that dwells in you. And I thank God for scriptures like this. Not that excuse sin, but that define sin and explain the presence of sin in the flesh conflicting with the sinless believer on the inside of it. Paul's getting down deep with us and he's saying if I'm not considering the sin that I'm not committing the sin I thank God for verses like this and church we all sin and come short of the glory of God everything about your flesh is tainted I know it is about mine from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet it's tainted but as a Christian, if I consent unto the law of God, that it is the good and the right way that I want to go, then I am not culpable for that part of my flesh which I cannot control, which is done without my consent. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. That gives us Personal liberty, personal responsibility, personal culpability. And I believe that's a good place for us to stop tonight. And Lord willing, we'll take up and we'll expound verses 11 through 13 next Wednesday. 11 through 13. We'll close with a word of prayer. Sure, I'm thankful that microphone started working right. That was a blessing. Father, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for Brother Wisdom. Thank you, Father, and I pray for those who are sick and all the prayer requests mentioned again tonight. We lift them back up to you. I pray, Father God, as believers, dear Lord, we never want to excuse sin. We never want to actually sin and say, well, that's not me. I don't want to sin, but I'll just do it anyway. It's just an old, old flesh. But Lord, that we'll understand, Father, the difference between the man we're trying to be on the inside and the flesh, Lord, we have to dwell in on the outside. And Lord, we look forward to the day, though none of us, Father, want to die, but Lord, we look forward to the day, dear God, when, Lord, our bodies will be made like Jesus Christ. 
will no longer be able to say, the good that I would do, I do not. Father, will do forever and forever as your spirit pleases. That our flesh, if you can call it flesh, whatever type of bodies we have, will be so in tune with our God that we will bear the holiness and righteousness of God. And we look forward to that in Jesus' precious name. Please give everyone a safe trip back home and a good rest of the week till we meet again Sunday.